Okay, and we are live, my friends. Welcome to a special holiday winter survival guide edition of the Red Delta Project. Talking today about how to basically stay in shape and not lose your mind during the holidays. This is something that uh, often creates quite a bit of stress and anxiety in our approach to health and fitness. And uh, this is the perfect setting to do it for. And the first lesson that we want to address today is that we want to recognize that uh, change and modifications in what's going to be happening is inevitable. Now, this is inspired by a question I got from my good friend, Al Painter, this previous week. And he's like me, he's a mountain biker and a cardio guy and stuff. And he's like, Matt, what do you do to stay in like biking shape, bike ready shape during the holidays or the winter months, especially out here in Vermont, when I used to live here, it was always such a battle because here the trails become practically unrideable for four or five months at least out of the year. In Colorado, it's a little bit different because we have more of a temperate winter, especially along the front range. But here in Vermont, it's like you're not riding your bike hardly at all from November through to April. And back in college, that was a real big issue for me because it would drive me crazy. I was a bike racer. I was a serious bike racer back in college. And I was so anxious about like losing my fitness and losing a step when it came to the changes in the winter months. And so to answer that question of how do you stay in shape during the winter months is, I know it's kind of a weird uh, way to look at it, but to a degree, you kind of don't want to. In all honesty, like how do I stay in biking shape during the winter? I wish back then that I had been more relaxed about it and actually let myself fall back a bit because instead what I did was I would spend a lot of time on the trainer and a lot of time in the gym, the UVM gym, riding my tail off or doing tons of cardio on the ellipticals and running on the treadmills and stuff saying, I've got to stay in shape. I've got to be in my peak shape. When in reality, what I should have been doing was not really pushing myself all that hard. In fact, even purposely losing a little bit of that progress because no one can go 100% all the time. And that's what I was trying to do because I was coming off of a fall mountain bike season in college. And that was when I was at my absolute peak of trying to perform as well as I could. And it was the thing that was all about uh, trying to be as fast as possible. But no, nobody can push themselves like that. And what I would often do is push myself as hard as I could in the gym all winter long. And then when it came time for spring training and road bike season in the spring, I would still be completely burned out. I was still uh, even worse off than I was before. So in a way, trying to maintain that high level peak actually forced me to go backwards. When what I should have done was said, okay, great, bike racing season is over. And now I can put my feet up a little bit, relax, maybe do a little bit more focus on strength training back in the off season maybe do a little bit of cardio here and there just to kind of keep the heart rate up a little bit once in a while, but no more than 20, 30 minutes, once or twice a week max. And then when the springtime came or in the spring training game, because we all would always uh, drive down to Georgia for spring training, then I'd be like chomping at the bit 
to ride my bike 100 miles a day like we would be doing rather than actually dreading it. So Al, my answer to you, how do you stay in shape? How do you stay in the best shape possible during the, uh, the, during the winter months? As I would say, I don't even try anymore. Hell, I haven't, in all honesty, ridden my mountain bike for well over a month now. I haven't even gotten any real cardio in for over a month. And I know people will be like, but aren't you going to lose a step? Aren't you worried? But yeah, you're going to. You're going to regress a little bit. And that's perfectly fine. In fact, you kind of want that to happen because going 100% all the time will force you into a plateau faster and it's going to force you into a regression against your will. So it's not a question of, do I lose a step? It's, do you do it either under your own power or by being forced to through burnout or heaven forbid injury or just total exhaustion? So as these winter months are coming about, as these holidays are coming about and we're thinking, oh, how do I stay in shape and stuff? Maybe this is a good opportunity to actually slide back a little bit. Now, I'm not saying totally give up. I'm not saying totally relinquish all power and control over your health and fitness, but it can be good to just give yourself a little bit of taking the foot off the gas, so to speak. And uh, the, that's the, the best thing that I can probably go with. Oh my goodness, my title is way off. You guys are right here in the comment section. I think I accidentally pasted my stream key onto my title. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, XY is coming on saying, my way of keeping myself in shape is as animals winter season. Bulk in winter because shred in the summer. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, one of the things that really can be uh, a bit of an issue too, of course, is holiday weekend. People will talk about, oh, is, you know, gaining weight during the holidays and stuff. Same kind of attitude, same sort of approach and uh, getting things dialed in mentally is when we're trying to hold on to uh, the ideal or perfect body or something year round, that can actually be inhibitive of actually making more progress. So again, case in point, I'm here in uh, Vermont for the holidays and it never failed. Every time I come here, my diet slips back a few steps. I'm eating more of my mama's homemade cookies because they're fantastic. And I'm eating more and I'm also doing less exercise and less activity. And inevitably, after the holiday season, I always find I've gotten a little bit softer. You know, my abs aren't quite as defined. I've got a little bit more body fat. And same thing. It's like, okay, that's fine. That's perfectly okay to have. Uh, the, uh, the idea come about. Let me see if I can't do anything about that title. Let's see. No, I can't do. Well, I guess I'm committed now. So, <laughs> so welcome to episode one eight zero eight zero one one eight zero. Sounds like something you'd see on Star Trek or something. So anyway, but you know, case in point, like right now, I'm filming the podcast and I'm drinking my my heady topper. Like this is a Vermont special here, IPA. I'm not having my seltzer water. I'm letting myself indulge a little bit more here during the holidays. Is that going to have some sort of a negative impact and influence on the physique and fitness and everything? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's perfectly fine because I also know that once I get back home in like five, six days, I'm going to be right back on track with my usual approaches and diet and exercise and everything. And it's not really going to have any sort of effect long-term. These little fluctuations that we have are supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be in the same kind of shape 
all the time. Now that also doesn't mean I'm totally giving up, of course. You know, I've got my brought my ISO trainer here to Vermont and I'm going to be doing my isometrics. I also brought some pull-up handles and I've got a setup in the basement there where I can hang from the ceiling and get some pull-ups and stuff. So that doesn't mean I'm totally like uh, giving up and letting things not flourish. But it's it's a something where you're also just saying, I'm not going to try and be at 100% all the time because it's good for the mind, it's good for the body, good for lifestyle and stuff. I've done that before where there's been holiday seasons or vacations and stuff where I've like, I am going to do everything I can to stick to my diet or my workout program like glue. And even if I was fairly successful, I wasn't really that successful. So I'd be kind of uh, not not happy with the fact that I didn't quite get in my usual workout plan. But it would also kind of put a dent in the enjoyment of the vacation or the holidays or whatever. And I'd come out the other side going like, you know, I'm not sure it was even worth it. Like, so what if you gain a few extra pounds in the holidays? So what if your diet slips a little bit? It's okay as long as it's a little bit. It's when we really go off the rails that we get in trouble. But as I always say, when our habits are really well established, the holidays and vacations and things like that are not going to cause problems. They're more or less exposing the issues that we have. And so that's why I'm not worried about it is because, yeah, I'm still having my three Ps at each meal. I'm still doing some exercise and stuff. So it's not like it's going to be totally disruptive on my approaches and stuff. All right, let's get to some questions here. Neil is coming on. Good to see you. Saying, how much sets and reps per muscle per week? I do compound lifts, do full body three times a week. So if you're kind of new to my methods here, Neil, uh, I use what I call my adaptive training uh, program. So I don't have a static number that I ever stick to for sets and reps and things like that. And the reason for that is simple, is because your ability to get a good workout in does not come from how much work you do. And that's why a lot of advice in our fitness culture is kind of more about mm, random, almost estimated guesses at best. Because a fundamental approach teaches us that it's not whether you do three sets or 500 reps or whatever you're doing right? The amount of work that you can do and the amount of work you should do is always changing and in flux. Case in point, we're talking about inevitable changes with the seasons and the holidays and things like that. So anytime that we're basing our diet and exercise programs off of static numbers, like let's say I just pulled numbers out of thin air. I don't know, work a muscle three, uh, twice a week for a total of 16 uh, sets or eight sets or something like that. Like I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. No matter what I give you, chances are it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because unless it's ridiculously extreme, like do two sets per week or do 100 sets per week, chances are it's going to work pretty well. There was a study years ago that came out and it said something like the ideal number of sets you should do in a workout or something or work a muscle per week. And people were saying, what do you think of this study? What do you think of the study? And the recommendation was so broad. It was something like, okay, the ideal way to build muscle and strength is to work a muscle. It was something like between six and 20 sets a week or something like that. And I was like, that's so broad. Like, show me any workout program that's not going to fit that. <laughs> like, it, you might as well have just said, yeah, just do whatever, because it probably would have fit that sort of thing. And so with an adaptive approach, the reason why I use an adaptive approach is because it's not how much work you do, it's how well you can create a fundamental stimulus from your training. And your ability to do that is 
always going to be in flux. Sometimes you're going to be able or should do a lot more work. Sometimes you should scale back and do a lot less work. So no matter what number I give you, whether it's like, okay, work a muscle twice a week for a total of 10 sets, okay? Again, pulling it straight out of thin air, it's probably gonna be good, but it's gonna be meh at best because there's definitely gonna be times you should be definitely doing a lot more because you have more time, you have more energy, you have more motivation, you have more capacity for whatever reason. And in general, when it comes to working out, more work is gonna get you better results in general. But at the same time, there are certainly instances where you're gonna wanna have a lot more of a prudent approach. Like, dude, I only worked my legs once this week. And that's all you should be doing because you're exhausted, you're tired, you're getting over a cold, your partner just gave birth to quintuplets. You know, There's a million reasons why you should barely be doing any type of hardcore training because life is hardcore enough as it is. So that's why I'm always telling people, don't worry about how much work you do. Focus on creating that fundamental stimulus that I talk about in my latest book. For example, if you're trying to build strength, contract your muscles extremely hard to whatever capacity you can, in whatever way you can. You mentioned compound movements. Okay, deadlifts, uh, progressive push-ups, weighted dips, bench press, overhead press, that sort of thing, right? Do it in whatever capacity you can. Do enough work that you're creating a stimulus, which happens with almost any amount of work you do. But at the same time, don't do it so much that you're just driving yourself into the ground. Because if you're coming into a workout and you're tired and you're like, man, I can barely do anything. I usually you know, bench 225 and I could barely get 150 this time. Okay, you're doing too much. I don't care what Joe Schmo over on you know, fitnessgodsrx.com, whatever says about the optimal number of sets and reps. You're never going to get what you want out of your workouts if you're following a protocol that tells you how much work you should do. You need to be focusing on creating a powerful stimulus. And then you just do however many sets and reps. And you, if you can do that work in a muscle every day, great. If you could do that work in a muscle once a week or even less, great. Then you just do the amount of work necessary to do that. Pavel was saying, I legit thought you had hacked for some reason because of this. Glad everything is okay. Yeah. I'm so it, I whenever I do these streams, folks, I'm on Facebook, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitch, I'm on Twitter, and there's a way I can do it now on Instagram. But it's a really weird way that they do it because whenever I do all of the other uh, distributor sites, it says, okay, here's the thing connect to Facebook, connect to Twitch and stuff. And I'm like, okay, good. And StreamYard, who I go through, says, okay, you're connected. But Instagram is like, oh, you need this special software and you got to have the stream key and you got to paste this and cut this and you hit this. And it's like a five-step process every time I want to do this. And I still haven't been able to figure out how to do it well. So I accidentally must have copied and pasted in the wrong field. And that's why we've got that weird title that looks like the model number of a fax machine. Neil is coming back on. By the way, loving the Christmas background. Merry Christmas in advance. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, this is, and for those who have been following me for quite a while, uh, this is the same living room that I used to have the Bodyweight Master set up in. There was one winter where I had all my videos here, and uh, this is the same place. Of course, we didn't have the Christmas tree. Then we had my Bodyweight Master. This is good advice. BMO saying, Grease Group during the holidays is a great alternative. Absolutely, yeah. So one of the pieces of advice I give people, not so much on holidays, but holiday, like a lot of parts in the world, whenever you go on vacation, they're like, oh, are you going on holiday? which I always kind of thought was a little little strange if I was <laughs> out on a vacation 
And I'd run into pre people from the UK and they're like, oh, you're on holiday. I'm like, it's not Christmas. What are you talking about? But um, when people used to be going on a vacation, uh, clients, they would say, what do I do for a workout? And I used to give people workouts to do, even simple ones like, oh, here's a five by five or a minute test or something from my ultimate minimalist fitness program and stuff like that. And I gave up on it because it nev I've never, ever <laughs> had a client actually do the workouts I give them when they're on vacation. It never happened. <laughs> and I used to get frustrated with it, but you, you kind of get understand it because remember that our habits are products of our environment and our resources and circumstances. And of course, when you're on vacation, all of that gets thrown totally up in the air. Your time is different. Your schedule is different. Your diet is different. Your sleep is different. You could go out on a cruise and party until 3 a.m. And then I've got like this hour long workout you're supposed to do the next day. And you're going to look at it and go, no, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding me? And the fact of the matter is, yeah, nor should you. You're not on a cruise to go and work out every day. You're there to be on the cruise. So that's why I always tell people, don't follow any sort of like super strict routine. Go and play especially long-term clients, I'll say, you know the exercises, you know the methods to my madness. You bring an ISO trainer, bring some suspension straps, go to the gym at the local uh, you know, place you're staying at, the resort or whatever, and literally just play in the gym. Go there with a friend and say, I wonder how many push-ups we can do in five minutes. Good, go. Yeah, fine, whatever kind of thing. When you go on vacation, you have a playful approach to your diet. Like, oh, let's try this exotic place for lunch and let's try this meal and let's do this. And hey, that's something new to try. Do the same thing with your workout. Screw leg day and go hiking up the mountains and wherever you're staying. If you know, you're in a place where it's like, oh, they've got this new hiking trip that we can do to these old ruins, these Roman ruins. They're like, yeah, go do that instead. Be active because being active and having healthy habits is still conducive to a good quality of life. And that doesn't change when you're on vacation. But don't feel like you've got to stick to this strict diet or exercise plan. Because even if you're successful in doing that, it'll probably compromise the holiday experience, which in all honesty, I feel is not quite worth it. Because as I always say, it's, it's a, a shame when we sacrifice for our health and fitness while compromising our quality of life. You know, enjoy yourselves during the holidays. Enjoy yourself on vacation. That's what you're there for. And you want to use diet and exercise approaches that and allow that to happen rather than inhibit it. Zach is saying, I've progressively increased how much I lift in the past year. Congratulations. I should mention I exclusively do body weight exercises. Yeah, very very common. You know, it's it's funny because sometimes I'll be listening to a podcast. I don't listen to too many fitness podcasts, but I'll listen to these podcasts. And right now, one of the things that's a very common type of tactic in the calisthenics world is calisthenics athletes who will say, oh yeah, uh, you know what really helped with my calisthenics is I do a lot of like weightlifting and that way I blend the two together and I get much better results and stuff. And I've never championed the idea of exclusively following any type of uh, training program or training methodology, of course. But the question I always want to ask these guys are why in the world is strength training with weights making you stronger at calisthenics? Because I know they're like, well, I'm supplementing it and I'm able to work my muscles so hard with the weights and everything. It's like, so why aren't you able to do that with the bodyweight training? Like if you're doing a bench press and you're like, oh my gosh, my arms are working so much harder. 
why aren't you able to accomplish that with your pushups? And in my opinion, that's like user error. That's one of the reasons why when I got back into, cal when I got into calisthenics and then I started to mix the weights and the calisthenics back and forth for a month or two, I was like, uh, why am I messing with the weights? It's the same thing. My body's doing the same thing. It's no different. It's the same programming. It's the same experience. My arms, my back, my muscles, they're doing the same thing. There's nothing different, which is the way it should be. Because if you're experiencing a radically different stimulus from one or the other, that means you're not doing something right either way. If you're experiencing a different stimulus from calisthenics, that means you're doing the calisthenics wrong. It doesn't mean that the weights are better or the calisthenics is better. And this is a great example of that when you say, oh, I did this method and then I got, I'm still getting stronger. It's like, yeah, as you should be, <laughs> because that means you know what you're doing. That means you're doing things correctly, my friends. So congratulations. Well done. Simon is coming on saying, hey, I got a app from a local gym. Don't think I lose it much after Christmas as I like to. Just free boy. Yeah. So I've always found that technology usually just kind of gets in the way of this whole thing, of these fitness approaches. The more we have to rely on digital assistance in our workouts and diet and everything, the less we're relying on our own self. I don't know, maybe AI will change that a little bit over the years, but uh, right now it was uh, it's uh, something that is off a little bit with the technology. He's going on to say, app helps if I have an off day and head so the best I may use it, but not into it. Dumbbells, I prefer machine cables and bar. Yeah, use whatever you like. You know, the tool is just the application. Remember that exercises and the tools that we use don't cause the success we have. That was the mistake I made for far too long is the dependence I developed on what I did, thinking that was what made things work, when in reality, it was how well I was using it that made it work. Owen saying, hey, Matt, what does your standard diet look like, not during the holidays? What do you typically eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and so forth, and so on, and then everything? Well, it's the same with the workouts. You know, I don't have a standard diet that I ever follow. You know, I used to do that a lot back in the day, and it was always not, it was, it was more trouble than it was worth. Uh, looking back now, if, if I could tell my younger self any sort of advice, it'd be like, don't give up on all the dietary, clean eating nonsense and stuff like that. Uh, for the most part, as I cover in my Ultimate Minimalist Fitness Program, I always just, my meals are my three Ps, plant, protein, portions. That's that's about the only thing that I ever consider when it comes to food, is am I getting protein and plant-based foods at each meal, and am I eating enough but not too much? Outside of that, whatever, whatever. I mean, tonight, you know, we're having some friends over and stuff, pizza and beer, you know. Uh, usually for breakfast when I'm back home, it's, uh, I have a, like a breakfast sandwich maker, you know, as we always make fun of like kitchen gadgets that never get used and stuff like that. I got this like a breakfast sandwich maker years ago, like well over 10 years ago. I still use that thing like three, four times a week. It's great. So it makes a standard breakfast sandwich, egg, cheese, meat, put some hot peppers in there, some bread, maybe some hot sauce and stuff like that. That's fantastic. A lot of yogurt, a big fan of just sandwiches in general. 
usually some sort of meat, veggies, and maybe some pasta at night. Snacks are usually something that's either plant or protein based, like say like Greek yogurt. I have these perfect bars. Oh man, if you haven't had these perfect bars, you got to try these. They're basically like compressed nut butter in a bar form. <laughs> if you're a peanut butter junkie like me, they are absolutely delicious. Or fruit. You know, I do a lot of fruit and stuff like that. I, each day, I usually include some sort of chocolate or ice cream each day, just as, as I like to call it, my caloric fortification. Just getting a little bit more calories into my diet because my day is so busy. I'm running all over the place that sometimes it's a, tricky enough for me to eat quite enough. Let's see. Joe is saying, hey, Matt, Merry Christmas. You too, my friend. To yours, I'm still patiently waiting for a NOSC. RDP limited edition suspension trainer. <laughs> God bless and have very merry, my friend. Thank you, Joe. So I actually had uh, uh, Wolfgang, who is the owner of NOSC and stuff. I actually commissioned him once to make me a custom made suspension setup uh, with adjustable foot loops and it's a one inch trainer and it compacts on itself and everything. I'm still very proud of the design. I think it came out great. And I still, I need to get on that maybe next year of pr proposing to him, like maybe we should, you know, put this as a, as a product out there because it's one of the, the types of trainers that can work with all the anchor points and good for grind style workouts. And it's, uh, man, I should dig that thing out of the closet because I used it for a while. And then it was like, well, I don't want to use this thing in my videos too much because I want to use things that I can promote to people. So that's when I started using the twin trainers because uh, you can actually buy those from NOSC. And so it's just been sitting in a closet, but it's a really cool design. Uh, it's very ergonomic, has, like I said, the adjustable foot loops and everything like that, like from the grind style straps that I, I made back in the day. So maybe we can make something happen as a official RDP trainers. <clears throat> Simon's coming back on with the conversation again. Yes, Matt, that's right. The app is a tool. It's there if I need it. Yeah, it's fine. Just go how I feel in free fall, a, a workout plan format, and then on that day. Yeah. But always remember, we want to make sure we're still moving forward, my friends. Remember, with adaptive training, we're adapting our training to accommodate our circumstances. But the point is to accommodate it for the sake of creating a stronger stimulus. We're not doing whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like it all the time, just for the sake of comfort and ease and just doing what we feel like. We want to do it for the sake of this is how I'm going to create a stronger stimulus. I'm going to work my legs harder today if I use the leg press versus lunges. And other days I'd be like, I just feel like I'm going to work my legs harder if I do lunges than leg press. Or today I've got the time and energy and motivation to do six sets. And other days it's, well, it's going to be three this time. We're always going after that fundamental stimulus, that objective, and then adjusting accordingly to best accomplish that objective. Simon's following up on what I was talking about. Sounds like a well-balanced diet works well for you. I am the same type. Yep. Always remember that, you know, there's a lot of advice out there about what makes a healthy diet. And most of it is just based on correlation versus causation. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to have a healthy diet if you don't eat sugar or don't eat seed oils or don't eat red meat. This is all just a guessing game. Any type of dietary advice that tells you this is what you shouldn't be eating, it's not terrible advice. Sure, cut back on the junk food and everything like that, but that's not why your diet's healthy. Your diet's not going to be healthy because you don't eat certain foods. It's how well you can satisfy your four fundamental appetites, your hunger, your nutritional support, metabolic support, and your hedonic support. 
that's what makes your diet healthy. I don't care what you're eating. I don't care what food you're eating. I don't care how much you're eating. If you're satisfying those four appetites, your diet's healthy. If you're overfeeding yourself, that's not a good idea. If you're underfeeding it, you're falling up short. Again, don't base your diet on what you eat. Never let nutrition get in the way of a healthy diet, as I always say. It's like I was saying earlier about your workouts. If you're like, okay, my workout is effective because I did five sets, or it's effective because I did these many reps, or it's effective because I did compound movements before single joint movements. That's not what makes your workouts effective. So every time we're going into our approaches and we're putting the method before the objective, we are putting the cart before the horse, my friends. And it doesn't matter what rules you're following. And when you put those rules as number one, it's like, well, my workouts are effective if I do three sets or five sets. It doesn't matter which answer. You're both going to be wrong. You're going to be off in either case. Your workouts are not effective because you do five sets or three sets or 10 sets or 12 or three by three or whatever. Same thing with diet. It's not effective because you get 20 grams of protein at each meal or you avoid nightshades or whatever. Right? That's not why your diet is effective. It's effective because you're satisfying your hunger. You're getting plenty of nutritious foods. You're eating well enough that you're supporting your metabolic functions and you have plenty of energy for your training and your lifestyle. And you're also enjoying your food and you're not uh, you know, depriving yourself of the things that make makes food enjoyable. If you're doing that, your diet's as healthy as it's going to possibly be. And it doesn't matter if you're eating pizza or not, or if you're eating red meat or not, right? Those are more of trivial influences. Don't get lost in the weeds, my friends. Joseph Bello, I just was talking to you on email. Good to see you. Glad you made it. Helmet, I am recovering from hip surgery. Yes, as you mentioned, I have had a nice break from all the training for the last two and a half months. On, I'll be ready later in January to start doing some training nice and fresh, relaxed, yeah, and rested. So that's the other thing to consider, my friends, is life is just going to throw you curveballs. Life is going to throw you situations where you're going to lose a step. You know, sometimes people will come to me like, okay, uh, I've got this surgery coming up or I've got this injury uh, happening, uh, twisted an ankle or knee surgery. How do I still, you know, stop from losing gains? How do I prevent myself from my legs from getting weaker? And it's like, nope, you're going to get weaker. No two ways about it. You're going to, you're going to get fatter or you're going to get weaker or you're going to lose muscle. There are times and situations in our life. It's just going to go backwards for you. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. You're going to lose muscle. You're going to lose uh, your results. You're going to lose a step. You're going to have poor performance in the sport you're doing. There are just circumstances that are inevitably going to come about, and you're just going to fall back. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Now, you can do things to maybe not fall back as much, but we need to be able to make peace with this sort of thing. I've been reading a book lately about change, change inevitable, of course, in life. And one of the biggest takeaways that I made a video a little short on the YouTube channel a little while later is that when change comes, one of the greatest sources of pain that we experience as humans is fighting and resisting change, which we know is inevitable. We know it's going to be happening. But when we fight it, and we resist it, especially emotionally, that's where we get a lot of pain and anxiety in life. So 
being willing to accept these changes that happen brings us a lot more peace. And so fighting pain causes pain. Accepting change or fighting change causes pain. Accepting change brings peace. Causing change proactively is where we get power. And so recognizing that, okay, I've got this hip surgery. I've got this injury. I've got this illness. Holidays are coming up and I'm stranded on a deserted island. I can't eat right. Whatever the case may be. Accepting it will bring about a lot more peace during it. And then once you can do something about your circumstances, saying, well, I can't have a perfect diet, but I can make sure I'm getting protein at each meal, that brings you that power and that control back. So do what you can with what you have. But if you can't do much and you don't have a lot going for you, that's perfectly fine. Be, be at peace with that sort of thing. Master Dave saying, hey, any advice on ner for nerve issues and that affect the hands, like carpal tunnel, cubital uh, tunnel syndrome? Your advice on my knees has been great adding these shifting squats and lunges. Fantastic. So when it comes to those sorts of things, definitely get an in-person diagnosis if you can, obviously. If you have some sort of an issue where nerves are getting pinched and things are structurally being inhibited, get some eyes on it and see what is causing it. Go after the cause. Don't just treat the symptoms. And sometimes you just need to address that head on. And that's what you want to do. Of course, avoid pain when you can. But if you are in a situation where it's like, gosh, this nerve issue is really bothering me, you're going to want to figure out exactly why and then get that taken care of for sure. <clears throat> so I was back and forth here. Zaid, it's good to see you as always, saying, hey, Matt, is it better to look at macronutrient intake workout volume over a period of time like a week or so rather than day to day? Very smart question there, Zaid. Because yes, that is a smarter way to kind of look about it is because we often get too acute with our attention. It's kind of like the... The, the stock day trader where there's a fluctuation from day to day or even hour to hour, like the stock is up. Oh my gosh, this is great. Oh, it's down. This is terrible. Oh, it's up again. This is great. No, it's down. Versus a lot of times smart, shrewd investors will say, dude, I only care what was the net gain over the course of like a year. <laughs> you know, like I don't care if it goes up or down on a daily basis. Same thing with fitness. A lot of times we get way in the weeds in our head about what we're doing on a day-to-day, -day. like, oh, I burned 3,000 calories today. Oh, the next day I only burned an extra 500 calories. Oh, no, this is terrible. And our emotions are on this roller coaster due to these things. When you're right, the results that we experience, the condition of our body is not what's going on day-to-day -day for the most part. I mean, obviously, like, well, I broke my leg the other day. That was a day-to-day -day thing. It's like, sure, of course. But for the most part, the amount of muscle and fat and strength and ability you have isn't due to what happened in the past 24 hours. I could go and tonight and just eat an entire large pepperoni pizza and get completely drunk off my tail and wake up the next day and be like, oh man, <laughs> hung over as hell. That wasn't very much fun. But does it really matter? No, not at all. Because in the grand scheme of things, that one night is a drop in the bucket. Now, if I'm repeating that over and over and over and over, then we've got a bit more of a problem. And that's one of the things that I became more aware of over this past year. I was you know, falling into a social group uh, with this gal I've been seeing who owned a social club. 
And it was like every weekend I was out late partying and drinking a lot. And my diet wasn't so great. And my workouts were suffering. And recognizing like this happened all summer and fall long. And like this is happening every week. This is not good. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, it only happened one Saturday night. But it was every Saturday night over and over and over. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a pattern. This is not good. This is going in the wrong direction. I got to nip this in the bud. So it wasn't that it happened. It was that it was happening repeatedly that was problematic. And so when you're asking what is happening over the course of a week, over a month, and so forth, that's a much smarter way to look at it. Because if we think, oh, I had this great weekend, I did these great workouts, and I did this healthy eating and everything like that, it's like, yeah, but you only did it once, which means it was a small influence. But if you do it repeatedly, that's where the power comes from. And that's why a lot of times people who track their workouts and stuff, they'll be like, what did I do over the course of a month? How many push-ups did I do in a month? How many pull-ups did I do in a month? Who cares how many I did in a workout? I don't care how many pull-ups I got, how many sets I got in a workout. I don't care. How many sets did you do in a month? Ah, now we've got something that is probably a little more substantial for uh, our tracking of our progress. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Take a macro approach, take a macro view, because when we get too micro, we can lose the sight of those trends. And it's the trending direction that things are headed in that's much more important. BMO is saying, I often find myself in a groove while working out and overdo the volume. Subsequent workouts suffer. Suggestions, advice to keep things fun, but not let other workouts suffer. So who says they're suffering? Hmm? Who says that it's really off? So there's a few ways we can approach this with adaptive training. So you're in a groove, you're in the zone, you're feeling good. And usually when people are like, I just feeling really good, I'm feeling awesome. I'm like, yeah, keep going, go for it. You want to keep doing sets, keep doing sets. You're out on a long run and you're feeling you're in the groove. Yeah, keep running, go, go for it. Absolutely. Make hay while the sun is shining, as they say. But the next workout, Let's say you worked out on Sunday, you were in the groove, and then your next workout is slated for Tuesday, and you're like, oh, I am, I am really not feeling it today. I'm not good. Well, who says you even have to work out that day? Adaptive training. You can adapt everything. So put it off to Wednesday when you feel better. With all that volume, you just need more recovery. It's not too much volume. It's just not enough recovery. So get some more sleep, get some more food, come back on Wednesday, kill it, crush it. Or you could be like, yeah, but I really want to work out on this Tuesday. Okay, great. Not as much volume then. Just get a couple of good sets and call it a night. You know, or, or decrease the volume or decrease the intensity a little bit. Like, dude, I was doing these weighted pull-ups and it was awesome on Sunday. Now my arms are so tired and sore, but I still want to get a little bit of pump. Okay, downshift to just simple body weight rows. Or let's get some archer rows on the suspension straps. We'll get a couple of good sets, get the blood flowing, feeling good. Okay, go home. Adapt. Some days you're going to have more, so do more. Some days you're going to have less, so do less. Or just put it off to a time when you have more again. Adaptive training, my friends. There's no such thing as a bad workout, only just bad applications. <laughs> Forcing ourselves to do things out of alignment. Benz, it's good to see you. Hey, Matt, recently started focusing on my form rather than chasing reps as you've advised. Good man, good. Uh, my reps went down to a half, even a third of what I used to doing before. Usually a sign you're on the right track. Workouts feel better and more effective. Yeah, there you go. Again, when we're chasing the work, then we're putting the cart before the horse. 
Your workouts are not effective by how much work you do, my friends. I don't care if you do 100 reps or 10 reps. I don't care if you run 10 miles or one mile. Achieve that fundamental stimulus. That's what's important. And if you could do that at a mile, great. <laughs> if it takes you 10 miles, okay, then you run 10 miles. But don't make the work the goal because you're not going to get results based on how hard you work. It's just correlated, not causation. Benz is also saying, also thinking of movements such as movement chains. Yes, as we talk about in chain train theory, all of RDP programs are based on chain training, not muscles or movements, but chains. Makes me feel uh, the contraction way better. All I want to say is thank you for your tips. Very good. Glad you hear that. It's not muscles. It's not movements. It's both. It's the best of both worlds. Len Duan, it's good to see you again. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. All these years I've been talking to you. I never quite understood that. But good to talk to you, Len. Hey, Matt. Of so many of us in our lives in ways you may not realize. Well, I have an inkling. After all, I've helped my own self. So I hope if, if I can help people even half as much as I've helped myself, I'd consider myself a success. I look forward to what's next in the new year for RDP. Merry Christmas, Matt. Thank you very much. And I've got a lot coming to you guys. I've got my official guide, quick read book on adaptive training that's going to be coming out. I've got my book, uh, one of my next books, which I thought was going to be a quick read, but it's now turning into a whole new book, is just 100 Tips on How to Build More Muscle with Calisthenics. That was the impetus for this uh, month's RDP Advent Calendar. Those videos are on YouTube now. Last one's coming out tomorrow, of course. I've also got a new company that I'm going to be working with in partnership with Al Cavadlo, where I'm going to bring a lot more formalization to remote coaching. So if some of you have ever wanted to coach with me, uh, me to be your coach remotely, we're going to be bringing a lot more of a formal, much more high quality remote coaching program, as well as creating official grind style calisthenics and isometrics programs with that. So it's not just going to be the little piecemeal videos on YouTube or the books that I have on RDP. It's going to be a full on official grind style calisthenics and muscle building isometrics programs that are going to be coming to you folks. So there's a lot of great stuff coming down the pipe for RDP this coming year. You guys are going to love it. Master Dave saying, Matt, I find adding that tension phase from GSC has helped me progress exercise without adding reps. Absolutely. Uh, just getting more out of the reps I was already doing. Yes, absolutely. So the tension phase, part of the warm-up, the first phase of grind style calisthenics and to a degree isometrics as well goes a long way because always remember you can only work a muscle to the degree you can engage it and to a large degree many of us have poor neuromuscular activation in our muscles i know they call it the mind muscle connection but it's not really a good term for it it's like of course it's connected like what do you think your muscles are connected to <laughs> like unicorn tails or something it's the neuromuscular system for a reason folks your muscles are driven by your nervous system. If the human body were a car, your muscles are just the wheels. Hell, they're not even the wheels. They're the tires that where the proverbial rubber meets the road, which is important, which is certainly good, but it's the nervous system that's driving the whole thing. And so the tension and stability phases of grind style calisthenics or even the strength phase to a large degree, is all about developing your nervous system. Because the stronger your neural drive is, everything becomes so much more effective and safer too, which is a very good thing. 
And that's why it's there. I know it may seem a little redundant sometimes. Uh, it's one of those things that may seem a little like, do we really have to do this? Okay, fine, whatever. But I promise you folks, you improve your neural drive, everything about your workouts gets better. Even if you don't do any more additional work ever, even less work, it's going to be more effective. See, good conversations coming on between you two. Very good. Thank you very much. I love how the community is supporting each other. Uh, one of the things I always love to appreciate you, about you guys, you're all there for each other. You're conversing, you're uh, giving ideas and criticism stuff. There's not a lot of animosity here. That's fantastic. You know, as you all know, the internet can be such a cesspool sometimes, and you're or all here to build each other up. That's exactly what you want. Let's see, what else can I help folks with? Edward's saying, hey, Matt, we sit all day. It impacts our longevity. What is the optimal sitting pose and optimal sitting chair sofa? Thanks. Merry Christmas. Very good question here. Here's the thing. It's not sitting that's the problem. Sitting is fine. Sitting is more than okay. You know, we're, we're perfectly okay to find and to sit. Sitting doesn't do any harm. Sitting still, people are like, oh, sitting still is hard. It's not the sitting part. It's the still part. That's what's getting you. It's being still for so long. It's the lack of movement and balancing out movement that's getting you. And so it wouldn't matter if you're standing still. Like so many people back in the day, we sat on these you know, Swiss balls, these giant Swiss balls, and we thought that was better. It wasn't. I was one of those people who had it. It usually just made it meant I had worse posture while sitting at a desk. And we got standing desks and we're standing. It's like, yeah, but you're standing still and stuff. It doesn't matter what postures you're in. It matters that you're still. And if we don't have any movements and activities that are counteracting that stillness, that's where we get into trouble. So that's why sitting still for hours is fine. It's perfectly okay. But we still want to make sure we're getting some squats, lunges, hanging, maybe some body extension work, uh, some hip bridges, kettlebell swings, uh, anything like that. That's what we need more of. It doesn't matter what sitting position you're in. When you don't have activity to go in the opposite way, to stretch what gets tight, to activate what gets sleepy, to strengthen what gets weak, then you're, you're still going to have those detrimental effects. So making sure that we're getting some stuff that moves us in other patterns to balance it out. That's what you want. The sitting is fine. It's the still that gets you. Caitlin, Caitlin Hand, how's it going, my friend? Saying, hey, Matt, I've been trying to work my core because I think it's holding me back. Maybe. Could be your hips, though. A lot of times, weak cores, actually weak hips, but I digress. I tried hanging leg raises and always end up with lower back pain. Definitely, you're on the right track. Your abs are under-engaged. I find it difficult to hold a posterior tilt with long legs. Yeah, so don't. <laughs> Bend your legs. Here's the thing is when it comes to working your abdominals, it's about stabilizing and tilting or having that posterior tilt in your pelvis, as you so acutely mentioned. And so what you want to do is use whatever activities and exercises allow you to achieve and to some degree maybe maintain that posterior pelvic tilt. And that's a lot harder than people realize, which means it usually requires regressing the resistance of the exercise substantially. Oftentimes when I start training people the first time over at Capra Bodyweight Training, 
I'll be like, okay, we're going to start with line knee raises, not even leg raises, knee raises. And they're like, oh man, I could do a thousand of these. I'm like, yeah, but I want you to pick your tailbone up off the floor to get that posterior pelvic tilt. And they're like smoked in five reps. I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, that's what it's really supposed to be about. So here's usually what I recommend is the hanging leg raise is actually a much more advanced exercise than people give it a credit for. It's like running or push-ups in most regards. It's one of those things a lot of people can do, but very few people can do it very well or correctly, if you will. And as a result, most people are doing it like crap and they get the lower back pain and stuff like that. So if I were you, my friend, I wouldn't even bother with the hanging leg raise. I would go, if you're hanging, uh, try to uh, basically pick your knees up to your chest, like you're curling up into a ball and having that pelvic tilt. But if I were you, I would just go with a simple plank style exercise, getting into a pelvic tilt to begin with. So oftentimes when I have people plank, I'll have them go into a cat cow, like cat. So they get a real good posterior pelvic tilt. And then you bring either your knees up off the floor, keep your knees bent or straight legs. And that alone is more than enough than what people can handle, but it's going to get your abs much, much more engaged because otherwise you're going to be primarily flexing with your psoas muscle. And that's why you're getting the pull in your lower back or bald. Sorry, <laughs> don't have my glasses. Bald Degee is saying, what do you think about not even counting reps? Purposely losing track of how many reps you're doing. Yeah, there's lots of little tricks you can do like this to and this is a good thing to do when you're on vacations and holidays and stuff like that is break out of the routine. As I was talking about earlier, one of the great things about these disruptive periods in our life is embrace the disruption and just do things really different and see what you can learn from it. So here's a good technique that you can use for exactly that is go into the uh, workout routine and just say, I'm just going to do reps, not even count or set a timer and say, can I do these reps for 40 seconds or a minute or what have you? It's great. Because remember, your muscles ultimately, they don't count reps. They don't know reps. They don't know the difference between five reps and 10 reps. What they do know is the amount of time they have to work between five reps and 10 reps. So they only know time and tension. And sometimes we get in the habit. Remember, our muscles are driven by our nervous system. And our nervous system is very... Uh, vulnerable maybe is the word, but our nervous system is a habit forming machine. Uh, things that wire together, fire together, wire together, right? Is that the phrase? I think I'm guessing that wrong. But if we do something habitually over time, we get used to that being the way it is, reality, so to speak. As I say, a belief is nothing more than a thought that we just keep habitually thinking. So if you are always doing 10 reps of an exercise and you think that's your limit, you're going to start to fatigue when you're going eight, nine, and 10. But if you stop counting, you can be like, bang, bang, reps, 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 reps. And you're like, yeah, keep going. And you're, you're like 15, 16, 17, 18. It's amazing how people can inhibit themselves. This is why I'm always saying that, quote, lifting to failure is often more subjective than we think it is. Because, God, the number of times people have come to me and they're like, this is my limit. This is my absolute limit. This is the number of reps that I can absolutely do. And then I just give them a little Jedi mind trick of like, okay, don't count reps, or we're going to do it for time or whatever. And they blow way past that limitation. Why? Because it was a mental limitation. It was a neural limit. It was not their, uh, their muscular limitation that we we're working with. 
So yeah, things like that, I'm a big fan of at least trying once in a while. See what happens. It's a lot of fun to play with that stuff, to realize, holy smokes, I can do a lot more than I thought I could. Fleep3D is saying, hello, Matt. I've been following this channel for a few years now. Love the general approach of fitness you approximate. Uh, promote. Thank you. How do you feel about kettlebells, specifically kettlebell swings? I love kettlebells. I, I always like to play with them a lot. I used to make kettlebell jewelry back in the day. I'd get these little uh, novelty kettlebells and have it on necklaces and things like that. I always thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I like kettlebells. Uh, when it comes to external loads, because of course I'm all about the body weight training and isometrics and stuff, but when it comes to external loads, I'm a big fan of ground-based hand weights of which kettlebells are. You know, I remember, maybe I'm showing my age a little here, but I remember when kettlebells first came, came on the scene and people were like, oh my gosh, this is so good for my back and everything. And it's like, well, yeah, now you've got a weight that starts on the floor and it ends on the floor. It's not on a rack. Of course, now we got kettlebell racks and stuff, but it starts on the floor, it ends on the floor. So every single time you're deadlifting it up, You've got to use your posterior chain. You've got to use your glutes. You have your full body stability you have. You don't have benches. You don't have any braces and preacher curl benches and everything. It's you and the weight and that's it. And for the most part, when it comes to working with or uh, external loads, that's how I recommend people should be using external loads. Because the more you have to have external supports, the less support and structural stability you're creating in your muscles. So kettlebells are great for that. You can also do it with dumbbells, sandbags. A lot of times when I see people set up a home gym and they're like, I'm going to get a barbell, like I usually will recommend get just the barbell for several months. Don't bother with a rack. Don't get a squat rack. Don't get a bench and anything like that. Just the barbell for the same reason, because I'm a big fan of that ground-based loading, because that's what I think most people should use. I like kettlebells also because they require finesse and power and stuff. And rightfully so, a lot of people will say, well, that means that you're training to get good at using kettlebells. Of course, that's what all training is. All training is about getting good at the exercise you're doing. You know, there's no such thing as an any type of exercise that makes you good at everything. It's just it, it makes you good at kettlebell training. Yeah, but there's always more functional carryover with that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The kettlebell swing is your bread and butter. That is your classic loaded, powerful hip move movement. I know people who are into lots of different training modalities and they're like, dude, I feel bad, why? Well, the only thing I'm doing with the kettlebell is swinging it. It's like, great. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, especially if we're using multiple modalities, you're going to find there's one, two, maybe three primary exercises you would use a tool for and that's it. And that's great, that's fantastic because it means that you're getting a lot out of those few things. And that's great, that's a good way to go about it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of people experimenting with kettlebells, I think it's fantastic. Let's see, what other questions can we address here on the holidays, wrapping things up? Simon, it's good to talk to you. I said, gotta go now, headed to that deload back in arms. Best of luck to you, my friend. So catch you next year, Matt. <laughs> good on the channel today and see you. Thank you very much, Simon, appreciate you coming on here. Hope you have a very merry and you have a good end of the year as well. Vin is saying, is there any benefit to training barefoot? Do you think about the barefoot shoe movement and so on? So at the bodyweight gym at Capra, we train barefoot or stocking feet all the time. Just because, and this, this may be just my personal thing, is I've been a martial artist since I was 10 years old. My feet are strong. I have 
ankle mobility and stability and strength that I've had my entire life. And I don't know what it's like not to have these things. When people are like, oh, my ankles are tight or how do I squat deep with tight ankles? I'm like, what that's like? I don't know. Because I've trained and lived barefoot. And in the summer, I'm barefoot all the time. I think there's a lot of benefit to being as barefoot as possible. Of course, you got to protect yourself. I'm not about to say, go hiking on the, the Rocky Mountains barefoot or something. It's like, no, you've got to be safe. And of course, got to protect your feet. But I'm a big fan of being barefoot. I think there's a lot to be said for that sort of thing. And barefoot shoes and everything like that, I love I, I just find it's more comfortable. I've used a lot of things like I always tell people when I'm training them uh, in the gym gym, like one of the regular gyms I go to, I'm like, for the love of God, don't wear running shoes. It's just way too much padding. It's so hard to have good stability in the right ways for especially squats and lunges with running shoes because they're promoting that roll forward onto the ball of foot. I'm like, I don't want you rolling forward you know, under the ball of your foot when you're lunging, like I want it on the heel. So I'm a big fan of the minimalist shoes just because I don't know. I just feel more comfortable barefoot. I'll train barefoot every time if I'm allowed to, as long as you're being safe about it. You're not out in like a 90 degree day in the parking lot, tearing your feet up on asphalt or something. Edward saying, hey, Matt, I do MMA. Cool. Badass. And want to work my glutes for optimal performance and kicks. What exercises would you suggest? Well, we got the kettlebell swings that we just talked about. Any kind of hip movement, anything involving the legs should be a glute exercise. Because always remember that exercises don't work your muscles. Squats work your glutes. Deadlifts work your glutes. No, they don't. You work the glutes in the application of the deadlifts. So as we were talking about earlier, remember it's your nervous system that drives your muscles. Don't ever assume or let the exercise drive the muscle for you. Because whenever you do that, you're going with passive uh, activation and engagement. And that's always going to be less quality and less consistent activation of the muscle. Whenever you make it passive and assume that the exercise is doing it for you, you're always going to be in worse shape with that. doesn't mean it can't work. I'm just saying you're not going to get as much as you can out of it. So anything that involves a hip hinge, Anything involving your lower body should be a glute exercise. Standing still should be a glute exercise. This is why I'm always so much about get your muscles engaged very well, because the best way to get a muscle to develop and get stronger is to use it all the flipping time, right? You see someone with really great biceps or really powerful glutes, and you're like, oh, I wonder what exercise they're doing. They're not doing an exercise for that. They're just engaging their glutes a lot more when they're standing, when they're walking, when they're climbing stairs, when they're lunging and they're squatting and they're on the leg press, when they're getting out of their car. You know, that people often comment on my calves being well-developed. It's like, what do you do for your calves? Nothing, because I'm using them very well all the time. That's why they get developed. So that's the biggest advice that I would give you, especially as a martial artist. You should have your glutes fired on and ready to go with every stance you're ever in, every step that you're taking, every position you're in, when you're kicking, when you're coming back down, when you're jumping, when you're landing, use your glutes with everything. And the reason why I'm saying this is to get your brain recognizing that so you do use it all the time. Because I could give you the best glute exercise in the world. Like, dude, I do kettlebell swings and my glutes are on fire. Great, you're doing that twice a week. La-di-da. 
how about we use your glutes and get them on fire every single day with everything you're doing? Because you could have your glutes firing like crazy on kettlebell swings. But if you're still not using your glutes when you're in a good stance, what good is it to you? So use basic hip hinge exercises, hip bridges, deadlifts, kettlebell swings, uh, glute bridges, hip uh, machines, whatever those sorts of things. Use that to get them stronger. Use that to get them on. But get used to using your glutes all the time. When you stand up off the toilet, use your glutes. And if you can do that and get your glutes firing more habitually, game over for your opposition, man. You're going to be in a whole nother league as far as how well you use your legs. Bald is coming back on. What do you think about prisoners who say do a thousand push-ups a day? Are they just doing junk volume? Some prisoners get jacked. Yeah, it's not the volume that's getting them. As Paul Wade talked a lot in his books, Convict Condition 1, 2, 3, and so forth, people have asked him about this. He's like, they're not doing a thousand push-ups a day for effective fitness. They're doing it because they're bored. <laughs> They've got a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of angst on their hands and stuff. The bottom line is that, yes, there is a very strong correlation between how much work you do and how much success you get to a point, <laughs> to a point, my friends, because there's always that diminishing rate of return. And this is why we want to be very careful about making the work the goal and the objective, because if your goal is to do a thousand pushups a day, I guarantee there's going to be times when that's just going to be junk. You're not creating much of a stimulus. It's junk volume when you're creating a redundant stimulus. So. Yeah, don't make that the goal. Don't make that something that you're going after. If, if you came to me and you're like, I do a thousand push-ups a day, I'd say, why in the world are you doing such easy push-ups then? Why are you doing an exercise that's so easy you can do a thousand of them a day? If I were you, I would do much harder variants and not be able to do a thousand push-ups a day. Make it hard. That's usually the grind style way is do things inefficiently. Like, yeah, my push-up workout involved 20 push-ups today. Fantastic. Awesome. Great. Now, they might have been archer push-ups or one-arm push-ups or some variation that's going to be much harder. But yeah, I'm not a big volume guy because I don't want to do things the easy way. <laughs> Why in the world would I want to do push-ups that are that easy? Sean is saying, hey, Matt, curious about this new training service with Al Cavadlo you mentioned. Can you discuss more about it? Target audience focus on training, strength, mass, delivery. Yeah, I don't have any of that information right now. Basically, check out Al Cavadlo's stuff. He's been working with a company now uh, where he's been doing, uh, he's been building his programs that we've been talking about a lot on uh, the RDB podcast, uh, the Mobility Man program and uh, the Shredded Dad Diet program and other things like that. And a program is much more comprehensive than any of the books and stuff. It's everything you need to know in practical application to get what you want from these sort of things. You know me though, everything I'm going to be putting out will be either calisthenics, isometrics, or a combination of the two with the sole focus to get you jacked and building muscle and strength. That's the objective. And so that's what the programs are going to be about. But yeah, it's so new now that I haven't even gotten started on it just yet. Al reached out to me a few weeks ago and he's like, Hey Matt, I want to bring you on and uh, you can be one of the, the first trainers on this new program, the platform and stuff uh, under his tutelage that he'll be working with. He'll be, essentially be my boss you know, in many ways. And I was like, great. Yeah, of course. Sign me up. He's like, great. We'll start in the new year. And that's literally all I've got for you guys right now. Stay tuned. More information coming out. But it's going to be basically RDP cranked up 
past 11 and ripping off the knob, basically. Sean W. is saying, hey, Matt, curious. Oh, sorry. I just answered that. <laughs> Master Dave saying, hey, Matt, how do you prepare for martial arts training? You just start slowly. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you mean like warming up and stuff like that uh, for my martial arts classes and stuff. So I do some degree of my Taekwondo most every day of the week. And remember that I've always said that having a warm-up is not so much about preparing you for activity. It's for recovering for from days of being sedentary. So I do a little bit of Taekwondo every day, which means that most days I'm ready to rock and roll right out of the gate. I don't really need to do a whole lot of preparation. If my legs and my hips are tight and stiff, yeah, I'll start off a little slower and not kicking at full speed or punching at full speed and kicking at full height and stuff like that. But it doesn't take me more than a few minutes to get rock and run rolling because I was talking about earlier, you know, it's not about what you're doing on a daily basis. It's overall, you know, what are you doing over the course of a week? What are you doing over the course of a month? And if you're training and used to doing sidekicks most every day for a month, your body perceives that as just normal, average, everyday things. It's no different than climbing up a flight of stairs. So when you are doing kicks every day, even if it's just literally 10 kicks every day, then it's no big deal. And you don't need to do a whole lot to prepare yourself for it. Back on again, Android 17, weirdest video title ever. I, what, it doesn't make sense to you? That makes total sense to me. Actually, it's a, an Illuminati code. You know, those who are in the know, they, they understand how that's about uh, uh, the new holiday season to take over the world. So I guess you're not in the know. <laughs> Or it could be that I just messed something up on my copy and paste. <laughs> Jim Perry, what would be a good warm-up before running? I keep getting calf strains. I always work calves so it's not a weakness problem. So it could be a couple things. It may not be your calves. It could be gluten hamstring activation isn't quite as good. Because it's your posterior chain. The force is going up your entire leg. So your calves are getting overloaded because your glutes and hamstrings aren't doing their job. So those are areas where you should be having a lot of force being handled. And if they're not handling it, then your calves are going to get overloaded really quick. So if I were you, I would look at gluten hamstring exercises, like we were talking about earlier, engagement there. That may be what's going on. <clears throat> okay, last couple here to wrap up real quick. God, these, this hour is always the fastest hour of my week, I swear. Edward saying, hey, Matt, are you going to leave this video up? There's a lot of good Q&As. I would like to save. Absolutely. So everything about these episodes, my friends, are always available on the Red Delta Project YouTube channel under the live tab. If you go to the actual channel page, there, there should be a playlist of live. It's also under the podcast playlist, and you can access all of them, uh, and they're never taken down. Also, I put the audio of this up on the RDP podcast, which you get through your RDP or through the uh, podcast directory. So Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher's not really a thing, I think, anymore. Spotify, you know, wherever you get your podcast, it's there. So that's where you can access everything there, Edward. All right, one more time here, Bald is saying, uh, P.S., is there anything one can do uh, for bowed legs rather than surgery? Well, I mean, if there's structural things, like your femurs are literally arced, then yeah, that's going to be surgery kind of thing. But a lot of times, pigeon uh, toe or bow legs or something are an imbalance in the hips. And you're either having weak adductors or abductors or external rotators or internal rotators. So in those cases, I usually refer to 
folks uh, looking at isometric hip exercises that I utilize in order to strengthen up the hips and balance them out, which I'll make a video on in the next week or so on how exactly I do that. Because it's really simple, really easy. I mean, I could explain it now. It's just stand with your feet roughly shoulder width apart, bring your toes slightly outwards and tighten up your entire legs and squeeze into the floor like you're adducting. And then after about 10 seconds, push your feet out. And what you're doing is you're getting your adductors and your abductors to work isometrically. And that goes a long way at balancing out your hip uh, flex or uh, adduction, adduction, and your internal and external rotation. And that goes, that helps a lot. That does a lot. This is one of the great things about isometrics is whatever you need to do to balance yourself out, it takes care of it for you. Several weeks ago, I had an issue in my left hip. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I strained or what I pulled or whatever, but it was not going away. And I started doing those isometrics and in a few days it was all gone. I don't know what I needed to fix, but that's the great thing about isometrics is that it just fixes everything kind of thing. And he follows up real quick to say, and uh, would like to sustain my cardio whilst bulking so I can spar. Absolutely. So remember, cardio doesn't need to be terribly long or exhausting, my friends. Last little point I put on here is, uh, remember, a lot of times we think that the effectiveness comes from how much work we do. And coupled with that is a lot of people think the effectiveness comes from how exhausted you are. That's not the case, especially with cardio. You're not going to get more effective results because you drive yourself into the ground. So you can make your cardio five minutes, you know, especially for sparring. Like how long is a round? Like two minutes, three minutes, right? I used to be a bike racer. I would race my mountain bike for hours and I would have terrible cardio for the ring when it came to free sparring. So my instructor said, okay, here's a punching bag, two minutes, go. You know, I'm like two minutes, nothing. When a bike race, it's nothing. But when you're going all out against a bag, it exhausts you real quick. And within a few weeks, I had better stamina in the ring because we were doing that kind of cardio. So keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it intense, my friend. And that will help you more than any other like long-term cardio. All right, my friends, I bid you all adieu. It has been a fun hour and a half or so. As always, thank you so very much. Again, you can check out the replays on this on the RDP YouTube channel under the podcast and the live feed tabs and on your local podcast directory. If you're celebrating Christmas, have a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays in general. And uh, yeah, I will, I'll, I'll see you before the new year as I'll do this next Saturday as well. Talk to you then folks. Till then be fit and live free.